All right, today we're concluding our series on relationship myths. Have you enjoyed this series? And uh, throughout the series, I ask you if you had a relationship question, if you would text it in, we would answer the question. And I thought, why should I have all the fun? And so I decided not to have all the fun, but to invite a panel to help me answer the question. So I'm gonna ask our panel to come up if you guys would. And we're going to take some time today and just answer some questions that you asked. And and also with that, know this, that we, in order to take on more questions, uh, the 9 a.m. and the 11 have different questions. And so what we talked about in the 9, we're not going to talk about here. And what we talked about here, we didn't talk in the 9. So if you want all of it, you'll have to go back and listen to the 9. And if they want all of it, they'll have to listen to the 11. But we did that because we just wanted to answer as many questions as we could and just give as much perspective as we could. And so I'm actually joined up here. Let me introduce everybody if you don't know them. Uh, but starting on this side, this is Pastor Bill. He's joined us. He's a pastor here. He's also a licensed counselor. Um, and so we we thought he could anchor us down. <laughs> and then most people know Pastor J-Dub. He's with us. Most people know Pastor Mark and Elena. And, uh, and of course, then there's me. And, um, and I w- do want to say Pastor Jessica was going to be with us today on the panel, but felt it, it, she, she felt like she was more needed in the children's department today. And so we appreciate her serving there. So she didn't get invited and she was going to do it. And then she said, no, I, with all the festivities, I think I need to serve there today. And so we appreciate that and appreciate her. So you can love on her when you see her after the service. And so we're going to dive in today and we have questions essentially uh, that, that you guys asked us. And, uh, and so as we dive in, Elena's going to pray for us. Um, and then we're going to take up the questions you asked. Dear Lord, we just love you and thank you so much for the opportunity to be in your house today. We thank you so much for everything that we've learned in this series about relationships. And God, I just pray that whatever we discuss today and the answers that we give, Lord, that it would just minister to every single person here. God, open up our hearts to receive. Let us hear your voice, Father God, and just fill this place with your Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. And diving right in. Here we go. Are you guys ready? All right. They're not sure, but we're ready. All right. We're ready. We're going to start here. My, my husband lost his job, which has created a financial strain. What do we do now? Something. Um, and uh, there's a couple of things I want to share on this uh, from partly just from experience. Uh, Elaine and I have done a lot of uh, financial counseling inside of marriage through FPU and the life of this church, um, and some just our own practical hard knocks that we've been through in life too. Um, and I'll say this as to the guys especially, because I've run across this a few times um, in just just ministry scenarios. Um, when you if you lose, which we had a lot of this go on this last couple of years with the pandemic, we had a lot of really difficult situations, job loss scenarios, and you know, things related to that. Um, as, as the guy, as the, the man of your house, it's really important for, for you to step into the pursuit of, of employment, you know, immediately. And, and I say that with, you know, there's a line from movie, you know, holding out for upper-level management, um, where sometimes we're guilty of as guys, well, I, I can do better than that. Well, sometimes you know, there's a, you know, Dave Ramsey talks about a security gland that women have that starts triggering if the security starts leaving. And, and it makes it difficult in relationships when you've got that 
going on. And so it's not to say you didn't lose your job legitimately. Uh, certainly, we've all experienced people in our families and our circles that have that have dealt with that. So that would be the first thing I'd say is be intentional. You know, Elaine and I, early in our marriage, um, we'd, I didn't have a job lost, fortunately, but we went through a season financially where we were really struggling, and I had to get a second job. And it stunk. To, it was an awful job. I was doing AOL tech support. After I got off my my, my eight to five job, I had to go straight. We just had Jackson at the point too, so <laughs> yeah. he was a baby, and I was trying to stay home with him. Yep. But so he had to get to. Yeah, so you just do what you have to do sometimes, and uh, and then you pray and you genuinely seek the Lord, but don't just wait around for the thing to fall out of the sky on you. Sometimes you gotta kind of engage in the game, and as you put forth what you can do, God meets you, you know, with what He can do. Amen. Is there something else you want to Well, say? just, you know, when it comes to your job and losing job, I mean, unfortunately, in the world we live in, it takes money to survive, right? You've got to have money for groceries. You've got to have money for a place to live. And so, you know, you have to do whatever you can to get money coming in in order to be able to support your family. And like Mark said, that's what we have done. I mean, there was a point where, you know, I was trying to be a stay-at-home mom, but it didn't work for us. And so I had to go get a job. And Nana took care of my kids for me, and I got out, and I got a job just doing whatever I could to help sustain our marriage and what we needed. And so sometimes it's not stuff that you want to do, but you have to get out there and do something to get the, the income to come in. So the second part of that is, Elaine and I, you've heard some of our stories, some of you have over the, over the years, but just, you know, we spent, so we've been married close to 25 years, and that'll be 25 years in March. The first 10 years of our marriage, we did most everything wrong financially, um, just name it, we did it. So 10 years in, we, we were not on the same page. Our money was in the same account, but we were not on the same page. And so that led to lots of frustration, lots of conflict, lots of just the right hand not knowing what the left hand's doing. Our journey included, you know, it started really the financial stewardship journey, started with reading a book called The Total Money Makeover from Dave Ramsey and starting that journey about 15 years ago. And it, it radically changed our life. To answer this question, what do you do when life happens? Because it happens to all of us. You have to do something different, usually. What we implemented in our life was just the simple principles of stewardship and budgeting. And it, it radically changed the, the nature of our relationship, the texture of our relationship. It mitigated the conflict in our relationship and provided us a safe place to start working together. And so I'll just use this as a shameless plug for what we're going to be doing next year and all the things that we're going to be offering our marriages here. It, by the way, if you need help in your marriage, whether it's financial or otherwise, you can text my marriage to 94,000. We'll help you. So whatever it is, whether you just need resources or you're in a critical situation, um, if you're interested in FPU, because we're going to be offering that a couple times uh, next year, specifically finances for, for couples, then you can text my marriage to 94,000. We'll get you connected to that. But the encouragement I give all of you today is do something. Lean in to community. Don't keep trying to do it by yourself. We did that for 10 years. We can tell you how it goes. It doesn't go well. I remember, I remember the first conversation we had about a budget, and I was like, I think I wanted to cry. I probably did cry. And then I got mad, and then I'm like, okay, this is what we need to do. <laughs> I didn't like the word budget. But the truth is, and that is the truth, but the truth is you, you've got to make a – Hopefully everyone has a budget. Like if you're if you're a married couple in here and you don't have a budget, I mean it could be because you're a billionaire. But I here's what I'll tell you about billionaires: they have a budget, and um, I can tell you that. And and so hopefully you have a budget. And if you don't have a budget, then 
start there. And let me just tell you one thing, and this is going to hurt a lot of people, um, but stop eating out. You know, it costs you, if you go to Chick-fil-A, it costs you $13 to eat out. You can eat at home for $4, right? So get you a Sam's membership and go get some chicken breasts, right? You can get the same chicken nuggets at Sam's. I don't know if y'all know this, but welcome to the Confessions of a Single Dad. I have right now 15 pounds of knockoff Chick-fil-A nuggets in my freezer, right? Because I can feed kids on that for a long, long time. And then I've got teriyaki chicken breast. I've got some regular chicken breast with about five different kinds of seasoning I can do. I can do a fajita, a kicking chicken, a Montreal. Y'all just let me know. All right, it's just chicken. I just change how it tastes. All right, we put a different sauce on it. But I'm just saying in our culture, we get so used to eating out and we don't get used to thinking. And meal prep doesn't take a long time if you just think about it. And I'll tell you one thing that saves our bacon is bacon. Because my kids love breakfast. And, and that's, so I always have breakfast food on hand because there's going to be one time where I didn't have time to defrost, you know, defrost something or thaw something out or whatever. And on that night, it's breakfast night. And we're doing biscuits and eggs and bacon and sausage. And, and sometimes we do pancakes instead of biscuits. And we do pancakes, we put chocolate chips in them. And it's a treat. Right. But I'm just saying, I think we listen. Everybody's like inflation, inflation, inflation. Yes. Inflation, inflation, inflation. Let me help you on how to save money. Go actually count how much money you spent eating out last month. And let me give you another one that's going to hurt some other people. Starbucks. (laughs) You can actually make a cup of coffee for about a quarter. Not in a Keurig. You can make a pot of coffee. You can go get you, you know, a decent roast of some kind of coffee at the grocery store. You know, even a Keurig can cost you a dollar a cup. You know what I'm saying? But, but you can. You don't have to have your bougie stuff. Listen to me. You can survive. You know, that's what we're saying is if you're struggling financially, you you don't sit there and keep going to Starbucks and taking your kids to Chick Fil A every night and and praying to God, God, would you provide? You know, what you do is you get your budget out and say, well, we can't do this. We can't do this. We can't do this. We can't do this until we we come to a place where we can. And then like Morgan Lamb was saying, then you go get a job. My dad had a saying that he would share with with men who were holding out for a management position. (laughs) He would say, you know, some money is better than no money. That was what he would say. And so you just, it's hard, and we make light of it. We, we will help you. We'll, we've even helped many families get on a budget. I mean, I, I use an app that I use an envelope system like Dave Ramsey teaches, but I have an app where my envelopes are digital. And I'm actually a little bit advanced. I want free airline miles so that I can travel. So I use a, a Southwest Visa card for all my transactions but I budget it and work it in the app and I take it out of the app as though it's real money so that I, I zero balance the card. I actually pay the card twice a month. I zero balance it every 30 days. Does that make sense? So I never pay any interest, but I get free airline miles. Does that make sense? But I do it by, it's like, here's my budget. And when I have my budget, when I sit down, and this is just simple budgeting 101, but when you sit down, you don't start with, well, I've got $400 in my clothing budget this month for me and the kids. No, the question is, how much money do I have to spend? And then I adjust the envelopes based on what I have to spend. So if I had a car, if I don't have a car repair or something that's a little bit abnormal, it may mean I have no clothing budget. Like we're just going to have to wear the clothes we wore last month and be real thrilled about it, right? <laughs> 
so so I'm just saying some simple budgetary things. But if you've had a financial tra- financially traumatic situation, it means the first thing you do is change your budget. Then the second thing you do is try to figure out where we're going to go to to increase our our income so we can pay our bills. Is that? And I'm just add to that point. You know, our lived experience was for like most people thinking that you know the budget's just another B word. And <laughs> and for most people, that's their experience with it because it sounds well. It's constricting and it's confining. And if you're a free spirit kind of person, it feels like death, right? It is not. It is not. What we experienced literally the first month that we sat down and did what Pastor's describing. First of all, we were shocked because and I retaliated it three times. But what we had spent eating out and doing entertainment-related things, movies, whatever, was eight hundred dollars. And if you'd asked me, I'd have told you probably a couple hundred because I wasn't paying attention. So like the first month we started And that was back when you could eat at Chick-fil-A for $5. That's right. That's right. Does anybody remember eating That's at Chick-fil-A right. for $5? Yeah. It, it, just a few years ago. Now it's $107. So, so the, help, the help that we, we offer in this realm, you, you, you have to be willing to receive it. You know, we had to be willing to make some changes. But what I can tell you on the other side of it is that we felt like we got a raise the first month because all of a sudden we, we, we knew what we were going to spend and we knew how much we had. And then she wasn't at the gas station or at the grocery store calling me in tears because the car got declined because the car payment hit when she didn't know, you know, in the whole dance. So press, you know, press into to, to, to opportunity. <laughs> and what we're offering you here at the church, you know, especially in all of our marriages and our relationships is a way to do that easily and, and change, change your life as a result. Yeah. All right. Here's here's the next question, Jada. We'll let you start this one off. But it, how do you parent your teenager without invading their privacy? All right. This one's. I'm it's glad be so that good. I'm, I'm glad that I have. So I do not have teenage kids of my own. Um, so I'm glad that these guys are up here who have, have like, either had have, teenage you kids. Like you've got like a hundred <laughs> teenage kids. That's where it comes in. Yeah. I, I, so I'm not going to really speak to this from a parent standpoint. I'm going to look at this more from the, the teenager standpoint. Um, and I want to encourage two different groups here. Um, some of you already have kids that are growing up. Some of you currently have teenagers. I'll get to you guys in a minute. Um, but the ones that still have little kids, not quite there yet, this, this first part's for you. Kids thrive in structure. Kids, they thrive in structure. They do well when they have boundaries. So if you do have children now, the best way to avoid that, am I invading their privacy, is to let them know the rules now. Let them know and let them understand the rules Um, Because if you can set those boundaries, those rules, when they first get a phone, when they turn however old it is that you've agreed upon, um, I've got a five-year-old that thinks he's getting one for Christmas. And we said, absolutely not. Um, But when you get to that point, you say, okay, here is the phone. But you cannot download anything without going through me. You will be restricted on how long you can be on that phone. You can only have so many apps. You can only talk to certain people. And if you can set that structure and boundary then, later in life, you're not invading their privacy. They're just adhering to the rules that you set ahead of time. Okay? 
So now let's look at the ones that already have teenagers and maybe didn't adhere to those policies earlier. I get to listen to a lot of teenagers say, my parents are the worst. Um, they, will, they won't stop invading my privacy. They got on my phone and looked at all my messages. They looked at my B-Real, my Snapchat, all the different apps. And I'm like, okay. And, and, and I try to take the parent's standpoint because I need the kids to know that they're acting a little crazy sometimes. And, and the reality of it is they didn't have that structure. And now you are stepping into a world that you haven't maybe really been a part of yet. So their whole world is being blown apart because now they think you don't trust them, they, they, that you have issues with them, that they're going to be in trouble, that they're being ripped. Like all these different things are going through their head. So they're mad now. Like they're mad and, and they might even hate you. I've heard that word used a couple of times. And, and the reality of it is it's because they're completely being, being blown off guard. And it's hard for them to understand and comprehend. But my encouragement to you as parents is to make sure to start implementing those boundaries then. It's better late than never. Because the reality is they might hate you for two months. They might be mad that you went through their phone or you went through their room. But in six years from now, when they appreciate you, it's because you actually stepped in. If you continue to not invade their privacy, because let me ask you guys, I've heard so many people say, my kids are my best friend. Like, my kids are my best friend. I guarantee you, you are not theirs. Um, I don't want to break any parents' hearts. I promise you, you are not their best friend. And, and, and it's true. You, you cannot be your kid's best friend. Um, it, you, you cannot do it. And, and I encourage you guys, if that's the way you look at it, you got to step into more of the role of being their parent. Tell them no. Discipline them. Um, and the more you do that, the more they understand they're not invading my privacy. They're doing what they need to as a parent. Now, I said, it might take a little bit, especially if they've had free reign for the last 18 years. It might take some course correction, but don't give up. Because sometimes you'll say it's easier to not just worry about it or to let them go because you don't have time for it or whatever. But if you don't have time for it now, you're going to be dealing with a whole lot worse later. Yeah. Well, and you wouldn't, you wouldn't hand your, your kid a, a loaded gun. And that's the, the picture I really, when I've talked to parents about this struggle at times, think of it that way. Because most of us didn't have available to us what's now available on a phone today. And so for my kids, so I have a 20-year-old and I have a 16-year-old. And kind of like, you know, Dub's describing, we, we started early in terms of the relationship, you know, with the kids and their devices. And to this day, even with my 20-year-old, part of the deal is, because I pay the bill, is if, if I can't pick up that phone and get into it, it's mine. Um, and I will spot check anytime I feel like it on any app I want to. And if there's something I can't get into, they, they help me get into it so I can take a check. Plus, I have... Less restrictions now with Jackson because he's 20, but with my daughter, she has times when she can and can't use it, certain things she can get to and can't get to. It's because I love her. It's because I love him. And I don't care about hurting their feelings a little bit if I can keep them out of porn. I don't care about hurting their feelings a little bit if I can keep them away from a predator. So think about it in the you, we the, the problem we have sometimes is we can be very naive about what's out there. <clears throat> 
And we all live in a very dangerous world, and we're putting a portal in front of our kids that anybody can get to virtually 24-7. So measure that against kind of what, what Pastor Dub's saying, and I, the, the friend comment was, was awesome, because they are not your that best friend. That was a friend. great one. Um, <laughs> you can try to be their best friend if you want to, but it's not going to go well. Um, and ultimately, what, what will happen is your kids will see that you care, and part of it is how you do it and how you talk about it, uh, but part of it is in the consistency that you bring throughout the relationship with it. Yeah, I think, you know, my three were in the in the first. My oldest is in from school, and, yeah, I have a 16, an 18, and a 20-year-old, and they started getting phones when they were, I think it, it was like 12 or 11 or 13. Somewhere right in there is was the age, the accountable age of phone activity. But... Um, we did. We started just what Mark was saying, what Pastor Dove was saying, is we started with, okay, you have the phone, here are the rules. It's kind of like your room. I, you're, you're, you know, what I always say is you can lock me out of anything you own. <laughs> but as it stands, I own the car, I own the room, I own the phone. Whenever you want to purchase those things from me, pay rent, et cetera, we can have that. That's a different conversation. But we're starting with, you can lock me out of anything you own. But we started with the rules. And, and, and here's what I told my, and, and parents, here's what you need to understand. It is okay to apologize to your kids when you get it wrong. And it's okay to let them know you're not perfect and you won't always get it right. And with my kids, here's the primary talk we have and have had I don't know how many times. Kids want freedom. Parents want responsibility. When you have more freedom than responsibility, you're going to get in trouble. And when you have more responsibility than you have freedom, you're going to get resentment. So you try to move those together. When you see more responsibility, you give a little more freedom. When you see less responsibility, you pull back a little freedom. And this was an ongoing conversation I have with all of my kids. And because of that, I have kids that include me very much. And, and my 20-year-old, I know what's going on in his life. He tells me, right? We talk. He's at school. We call. We talk. And, and I'm not saying I'm their best friends. No, I'm still their dad, right? And they know that. But they can also tell you when there's a problem, if they have one call, I promise you, it's going to be to dad, right? But I have also sat down with my kids and said, look, dad's going to set the rules, and here's what you know. I'm going to err on the side of safety, which means you may have one of those times where you say, well, dad, it's really nothing's going to go bad if I, if I do this or go here or go with these people. And I said, I'm going to look at you and say, you know what? You're probably right, but there's a significant chance it could go bad. I'm going to say no on the, air, on the side of safety. And my no may be wrong, but you'll be alive in the morning. You may have been right, but if we do it my way, you'll still be alive. And sometimes it's just that humility to say, I, may, I, I got it wrong. I've had this conversation with my kids a lot. Hey, guys, I kind of got that one wrong, didn't I? I'm sorry. But just know this. It was based in love, and it was based in the fact that I thought I was making the best decision I could. And as a dad, I had to make a lot of decisions and a lot of unknowns, and I don't always know. And let me just say, because... Was it Dub or did you? One of you said sometimes his parents were a little naive. Is it, okay, let me help everybody with a little exercise. Think about when you were 16, what you were actually doing versus what your parents thought you were doing. 
Well. <laughs> so, so, you know, I found the way to be a good parent is to be a great, I, I'm just suspicious. <laughs> I'm just suspicious about a lot of things. Like that just didn't pass the sniff test. And uh, I think I may need to look into that just a little bit more. And then let me also say, you know, in, the, in putting digital devices in our kids' hands is something we all as parents do. But here's what I can tell you is, you know, especially with pornography, pornography forms into an addiction and it costs a lot of fulfillment. It hurts relationships. I mean, it's a bad thing. Um, but let me tell you what I did, and I still do this, still on my son's phone, um, but I have an accountability software where I can see what they do on their phones. And let me also say this, because here's the side that may shock you. I have the same software on my phone, and it's sent to our elders. And so, so having said that, that, it makes it an easy conversation to say, hey, Dad wants to make sure he's walking in purity on his devices and wants to make sure he lives an accountable life. And so this is nothing different than what Dad does. And therefore, it's not a punishment. This is just the way we live in responsibility because we want freedom. Does that make sense? And when you have that conversation, when, when, when they had too much freedom and not enough responsibility, it makes it easy just to pull that back and say, hey, this is, what we're, this is the quotient we're working on, and I saw too much freedom. I didn't see responsibility. So we're going to reel things in just a little bit. In fact, with my oldest son, he has the – this blew me away. I'm sorry. I'm taking a lot of time with this. Maybe I'm a little – uh, have an emotional moment here, but with my oldest son, what I what I always told him, this is where all the you know you learn on your oldest one. Yeah, that's why. Uh, just pray for Luke because he was trial by fire. But um, but I used to tell him when the responsibility freedom conversation, I used the analogy of a rope, and I'd say freedom is how much rope I can give you, and the more responsibility I, I see, it's kind of like I'll let more rope out so you can go farther. Right. And I told him, I said, because here's why I have to train you, because when you turn 18, I have to hand you the rope. See, our job as parents is not to get them to abide by rules. Our job to, as parents is to get them to understand how to steward freedom. You understand what I'm saying? Here's the crazy thing. When I took Luke to college, he took that rope with him. Because when he's 18, I did a big ceremony. I gave him a literal rope. And I said, you're 18, son. The rope is yours. Now, I'm still dad, but you have to steward your freedom. I'm not in charge of your, your decisions. I wish I was, but I'm not. You're 18. You get to choose for yourself. You get to vote. You get to do all those things. When we, went, when we got to Arizona to his apartment and we were unloading, he pulled that rope out and set it in his room. And I thought that's a and, – and I can tell you this. He's a member of his student worship team in, in Arizona. He's on a student leadership team, and he's in a small group. And he has a great church, and he was here this morning, the nine yeah. o'clock. So, I'm and now he's not perfect, and neither am I. I'm just saying that was one that I'll give you that that actually worked. <laughs> one, one thing I just want to add, you know, one thing that Mark and I have done with Jackson and Kara is to really let them know that we're not here as you know we're their parent, but we're here to fight not against them, but to fight with them and for them. That it's my job as a parent is, you know, they're going to get on their devices. Things pop up. 
things they may want to click and things that they may click and things that they may see intentionally or not intentionally. But we've always let them know that we are here for you. Like you come to us when you are tempted. There are so many times, and I hope Jackson doesn't mind me saying this, but he will wake me up at, if he gets home late, maybe it's one o'clock and he'll wake me up in the morning and just go, mom, I need you to pray for me. I'm being really tempted. I'm like, okay, like, I'll wake up. I'm here. Like, it doesn't matter what you're going through, what time of day. We are here to fight with you and for you. And he'll leave his phone in our room sometimes, you know. And we just want them to know that there's nothing that they can do that we're going to get mad at them about. Like, we are here for them. We are to pray for them and lift them up. And when they are tempted, to walk them, walk with them through that because they don't have to walk alone. They're not... I don't want to be that parent where they feel like they can't come to me and talk to me. We want to be the parents that they can come to us no matter what. And we're not going to judge them, scream at them, yell at them. We're going to hold their hands. We're going to pray for them and support them and help them through those, those times. Yeah, that's really good. Really good. Um, all right. Next question is, post-divorce, how do you know when you're ready to date again? <laughs> Well, <laughs> okay, I'll answer it. Um, the obvious question, um, how do you know? Well, you know, I just went through this, so let me give you, let me give you my thoughts. Number one, did you do an autopsy of what went wrong the first time? So you should do an autopsy of the divorce. What I mean by that is a relationship died. Why did it die? And the reason you do it is because you had a part in it. And, and even if, and, and we answered a question in the, in the 9 o'clock about are there different reasons for divorce, and we actually had Jimmy Evans answer it, but um, you could say, well, there was adultery, there was abuse, there was abandonment. I understand, you, here's the problem with divorce. It makes, divorces means it went bad, and it makes it really easy in those moments of anger or resentment or bitterness just to completely blame the other person, but you pick them. And so your picker may be broken. So if you've got a broken picker, you want to fix your picker before you go pick somebody else. I feel like I'm preaching right now. Where is the organ when you need it? And so <laughs> Pentecostal people understood that. Baptists thought we were going to sing just as I am. But... um. But what I'm saying is, if you pick someone that was controlling and manipulative, it was because you were controllable. Why were you controllable? Uh, if you if there was someone and it there was abuse, why were you why were you why did you enable those cycles and why did you stay and why didn't you get help? Why didn't you stand up for you? There's there's a lot of different reasons why. In other words, you can't have one without the other. So if the relationship went bad, you owe it to yourself to figure out what your part was. What what did I need to do or what did I do that prolonged this, enabled this, caused this? Did I not use my voice? Uh, was I trying to rescue someone because I'm the rescuer and I'm going to swoop in there and rescue them? Well, listen, if you're the rescuer, you got to find a victim. The problem is a victim needs a persecutor. So what happens when you rescue a victim and they make you a persecutor? Because that's there's a whole triangle of psychology. I don't have time. It's free. Go to counseling. All right. Anyways, that's where I learned that. So, anyways, so the point is, did I do an autopsy? 
Did I find out what my part was in the, the, the starting of the relationship and how it went and why it went the way it went? Can I identify, do I know what that is? The second thing is, if it was a divorce, it damaged you and have you been healed? Do you know how that relationship broke you and have you let God restore you in that way? Because here's what we do. It's all their fault, but I'm used to having a person and now I don't have a person, but I've absolved myself of trying to figure out my part. And I've absolved myself of trying to get healed. And I just go and replace the person. And that's a good way to get a second divorce. Yeah. Right? So, so I understand the temptation. Listen, I learned a lot being a single person. And here's what I can tell you. Well, and let me just say it this way. You need to be at a place where, okay, let me just say it this way. You need to be at a place where you don't, don't need a relationship. That's how you know you're ready for a relationship. If you need one, you're not ready for one, right? If you need one, listen, this is what I've learned about our culture. I learned this as a single man very quickly. If you just want to be in a relationship with somebody, you can do that by the end of the week. If I, I, God is my witness. If you want to be in a relationship with somebody, you can do it by the end. If you want to be in bed with someone, you can do it by close of business today. So if you just want sex, you can do that by the end of the day. And if you just want a relationship, you can do that by the end of the week because there are tons of people out there that will sleep with you. And there are tons of people out there that are codependent and need a relationship. Those are not typically the people you want to end up with for the rest of your life. Is this just too blunt for a Sunday? I feel like I'm helping. So what you want to be is is I need to go through this and say, what was my part? How was I broken? H have I been healed? Am I content being single? Because if you're not content being single, you will not be content being married. Are you with me? And so you have to be at a place. I was at a place where I said, you know what? I may never get married again, and I'm okay with that. I have my children. I have my purpose. I have what I do. I have the church. I have God. I, if I never get married again, I just live my life based on my purpose. Right, And I take care of my children and wait on the grandchildren and walk the dog. This is what I do. Right? And, and obviously, yeah, I'd love to be married again, but I had no idea if I'd ever meet. Honestly, I didn't think there was a high probability of ever meeting anybody, quite honestly, because when you're a single senior pastor in a small town with three teenagers that live with you and one dog, there's, I don't know, that's not very sexy. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, so... So did I do the autopsy? Did I do the inventory? Do I need a relationship? If I feel like I need a relationship, if I can't just be alone, then that's a no. Um, and then I would say this, one more thing. I need to be at a place where the next person will not have to make atonement for the last person. Right? Because I've heard this before in relationships. Well, you know, I, I have trust issues from my last relationship. Well, you should have gotten healed before you got in the next one. Because if not, you'll be, you'll be judging and making assessments and expecting. Here's the problem we get. We get broken in one relationship and get another one and expect that person to heal us. It's not their job to heal you. It's not their job to make you. It's God's job to heal you. But you do that and then you find. And then the, the, I'll just add in one more thing. If you have kids, are your kids okay? If you, so for me, I had... I had uh, Three primary targets is when I went through the divorce, I came out and identified three things that I need to do, and none of them had anything to do with dating or finding somebody, right? And I'll tell you this. I was old school, and all of a sudden I was dating in a world with DMs 
And it was so awesome to know that if you send me a DM, it's seen by like three other people because I like accountability. And so, but we did have some. It was real fun. We did have, yeah. <laughs> One of them's Mark, but also our creative team usually, because they, they helped me in my social media and people didn't know that. And they, they've de- there were ladies that DM me and, uh, and, they got a form message back. <laughs> Thank you for contacting and us. I think, I think some of our staff was scarred for life. Anyways, but the point is, I wasn't used to all that stuff. But So the world's changed. But let me say this when it comes to, let me just say this. If you have kids, how are your kids? I had three primary goals is what I was going to say. None of it had to do with dating. It had to do with, I need to, number one, take care of my children Number two, I need to take care of myself and heal well and heal as quickly as I can because number three, I need to get back to what God called me to do. And if my kids are okay and I'm not okay, I can't do what God called me to do. So I've got to take care of my kids. So I had all my kids in counseling. Some of them still go, they go to counseling whenever they want. They have a great counselor, but I had them in counseling. And so when, and let me say this, when it came time, um, you know, nearly two years later, when, when Jan and I first met, I'd already talked to my kids. I already told them, hey, I think the season's changing where dad may, you know, meet someone. And the first time I talked to, to, well, the second time I talked to Jan on the phone, I had a conversation with the kids because I knew I liked her. And I had a conversation with the kids. And I said, how are y'all with this? And they were like, okay. And and Jan has two boys, a 20-year-old and, and a 17-year-old. And... Um, and she had the same conversations on her side. And then we let the kids be kids, and we let them be curious. So I didn't – I we actually – this is no lie. Uh, I didn't have Jan around my kids, even though they were teenagers, and I wasn't around her kids until we knew it was going to be a relationship until the kids asked to meet us. Now, we had teenagers, so that's different. But we wanted not to pull our kids through a lot of stuff. And so we wanted them to be okay, and then we wanted to walk through that process. And so they asked to meet Jana, and when they did, then she came over and they met her. Up until then, we hung out bowling alleys and wherever we could, different places, um, because I didn't, want to, I didn't want to do that to them. I wanted to be respectful of them because it's their life too. Does that make sense? And throughout this process, my kids knew I was going to propose I mean, throughout this whole process, I've kept them ahead and listened to what they had to say and asked them what they thought because it does affect them. Not that they make the decision, but it does affect them. So autopsy, inventory, um, I don't need a relationship. The next person will not have to atone for the last person, and the kids are okay. That's my answer. You all want to add in? Okay. I think you covered it. Okay, I got it. All right, next one. How do you relate to and have boundaries with unbelievers? You want to take that? Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> there's a lot of ways I could go with this. I'll, I'll start by saying this and make it kind of concise. Because I've said this too, and a lot of people tend to use this as their lead in when they're talking about, and I'm talking about general relationships with unbelievers. I mean, the Bible is pretty clear about romantic relationships between a believer and a non believer from 2 Corinthians 6 14. Um, but wait, wait, talk- wait, I think we should spend just a minute there. Okay. Um, so, so what does the Bible say? The Bible says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Okay, what does that mean? That means, you know, if, if you're a believer in Jesus, not being linked up with one that isn't. Right. So you don't missionary date. Yeah. <laughs> in other words, I don't find he's a guy. Yeah, I don't find a guy and think he's got great potential if I can just get him saved. So I'll date him and get him to go to church because you'll never know if he's picking God or picking you. 
He needs to pick God on his own. So we don't missionary date because I've never seen it really work out that well for anyone. Uh, so number one, if you're sitting here thinking, I really want to date them, if they don't have a strong relationship with Jesus, I'm not talking about they call themselves a Christian because in America, most people do. I'm talking about, do they go to church? Do they have a small group? Do, do they, you know, do, do they, I don't know, do they sing worship songs? Whatever it is, but you need to know, are they truly following Jesus, not just label themselves? Because here's the thing, you know, Christianity has become popular, but popular Christianity isn't actually biblical. I said a lot right there. So, yeah, so I just thought we ought to clarify what that means. Okay, so go yeah, ahead. Posting a scripture on your Instagram doesn't make you a Christian. That doesn't make you a Christian. No. Um, but yeah, that's, that's uh, and, and we see that a lot, you know, just in ministry experiences with people, and it's, it's difficult. It sets your, your relationship off on all the wrong feet because you're, there's a constant, immediate tug and pull that works against you. Um, there's a phrase that I've said often, You've heard it often as it relates to relationships with, with, with non-believers. We're quick to go, well, Jesus hung out with sinners, so we should too. I would challenge that actually sinners want to hang out with Jesus. Um, he was irresistible. So yes, he did go to places where they were, but they wanted him there. And the, the difference, you know, if you're picking up what I'm putting down, is that they were looking to him because of what he had inside of him. And the danger is taking this mentality of, well, I'm going to go where the sinners are, is if you don't have a strong relationship with Jesus and constitution, your light isn't shining, it doesn't take very much to get pulled into the other side. And take it from someone who went through that, because... Part of my story is my college years and, and putting myself in bad situations in groups that I shouldn't have been in that ultimately caused me to go directions I never should have gone. So unfortunately, I can painfully ex speak to the fact that when you unequally yoke in relationships with people that don't share your values, you get enough of them on the opposite side of you and it gets real easy to slide. Um, we talk about backsliding in the old school church. Um, and thankfully, I front slid later. But, but it's, it's, it's an awareness you have to have. Yes, we want to go reach the world. Like Pastor's saying, we need to go get them and bring them in. But be the type of person, not the, not the Bible thumper kind of picture, if you will, of going out either you know, literally or on social media and helping people with your discipleship plan. Um, anybody know those people? Okay, if you're sitting by one, don't look at them. Um, but be, be the type of person that an unbeliever wants to hang out with. And I'll leave you with this example. I have a really good friend of mine that grew up in church, and he's a good guy, but has fallen away from the faith and has pretty much kind of turned his viewpoints in the opposite direction of everything that, that we grew up with. It's hard for me because I love him. But here's what I don't do. I don't ram the Bible down his throat. And I don't tell him that he's living in sin and going to hell. Now, I'm honest with him, and we have a, we have a very open relationship as it relates to our conversation, because he knows where I stand, and I know where he stands. But my heart for him is to pursue him. And, and if we'll adopt that mentality, that's what Jesus had. His compassion compelled him to go after them. 
and not any other motive. So if that's helpful to you as you kind of look at the landscape of your relationships, that's the thing that should drive us to those people. And when we do, what's in us will bring those people to us for the right reasons. That's good. Anybody else? All right, well, here we go. Another question. How do you deal with PTSD in a marriage? Pastor Bill, why don't you? Everyone looks at me. We, any hard question, we're going to give it to you. So I want to come at this from a couple perspectives. Um, first of all, I want, to, I want to relate that PTSD is real, okay, because I'm a counselor. I'm also a combat vet. I struggled with it, past tense, okay. Second thing is, is that you need to know that it's a diagnosis. It is not a defining, does not define you in any way. So when you enter a relationship and you have PTSD or any mental health issue, the first thing that I recommend you do is you bring that out in the open. So even though I may have a diagnosis, I have to share with Lori what the diagnosis is. If you pull it away from the person and put it on its own, that allows you to treat it together. The second thing I'd say, and you don't have to go into detail by any means, but you need to share what your trauma is. You have what's called core traumas, which go way back into your childhood. And that's usually where everything starts. So when you start sharing your trauma, you share your story, and you put it out in light instead of keeping it in the dark, then they understand it. You let them know the trauma month. Um, quick story, the other day I was having a bad day, and Lori's like, what's going on? And I actually had to come share Pastor Mark because he's my supervisor. December's a bad month for me because of what happened in my life. So that brings it out. But if I want to share it with Lori, I want to know on that. So if you share that, that's one thing. The other thing you got to do is you got to give them permission. Give your spouse permission to call you. I don't know how many times that something will be going on and Lori will look at me and say, Bill, you need to go check the pool. And like I said earlier, I'm not really the quickest guy in the world, so I look and say, why? What's wrong with the pool? It's cold out. She says, go check the pool. That just means I need time to process it. But I got to give her permission to do that. You have to give your spouse permission to call you on some of your negative behaviors. Don't ever allow any diagnosis, PTSD, depression, anything like that to define who you are. And then finally, go get help. Do not be ashamed of it. Go find a therapist, a professional person, not your buddy from the military that you're going to sit down and look at your war pictures together with. That don't work, okay? Find a professional therapist to work through it. Do individual and do marriage because when you bring it into a marriage, you affect that person as well. Yeah. I think that's really, really good. Is and I love what you said there, Bill. You're like, well, you got to let them know what's going on with you, and you, and you need to let them know. Listen, I'll say this for dating people: if you're if you're out there dating, and you have PTSD, or you or you struggle with depression, you're on anti anxiety medication, whatever. Obviously, we don't condemn any of those things. We're for you. If you're sick, you call a doctor, you get medication, you do that responsibly and in a supervised way, but. You know, not on the first date, but it, once you see it's a serious relationship, then you should start saying, hey, I need to share some things with you. Um, because I, I can remember with Jan and I early on, and I, I don't have PTSD, but we all have our traumas and we all have our issues. And I remember very early on when, when we knew this was probably 
you know, we'd been dating about three months. But I knew at that point this is probably a long-term relationship, possibly uh, a marriage. <clears throat> I, I said, what was appropriate for that point of our relationship? I said, I'd like to share some things with you. And I shared some, just different things about my own struggles, my own life, my own, some of the things I'd been through. And she did the same. But I And, and I have self-awareness. I, I, you know, I mean, I... I'm, I think I'm probably, well, I know I'm the healthiest I've ever been in my life, but I know I'm doing pretty well. But it was just leveling things, just so you know my story and you know what I've been through and you know what I deal with. And not only that, I have a public platform and people know my story. So if someone brought something up, I didn't want it to surprise her. You know, I wanted her to have heard that from me. And because I've shared publicly about a lot of my own struggles. It's the fun of being a pastor. Uh, I think and, one one thing you said during the ser- series was, is you shared your triggers. Yeah. So instead of getting upset when they trigger you, own it and share it. Mm-hmm. And explain what part it is that triggered you. Because otherwise you just walk around mad. Yeah. And that doesn't do any good. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of, you know, what I've found in relationships, and y'all can speak to this, but when you start owning your stuff, that creates grace more than it creates condemnation. I think we as men, we don't, I, we don't like to, we don't like to share our struggles. We just, I mean, that's a man thing. Women, they want to go typically talk about them and, oh, let's, you know, I don't know. They're more open emotionally, you know, in safe environments. I'm not, I'm saying it's a quality. I'm not saying it's a, it's in any way something bad. But my point is, men, we're not always good at this. But the point is, everybody around us typically has to deal with us, and part of us may be the struggles and issues that we have. And what I've found in relationships, like that, I remember that day with Jan, I said, I want to share some things with you. And I shared things that not even part of my life anymore, but they're a part of my story. I've shared, I shared sins and things I committed that I thought she should know, because she'll probably find out or, or it'll be told, because they're again who I am. But uh, I wanted her to know. But I also... Um, you know, was like, it's not something that I struggle with, deal with anymore, but I want, you know, as part of my story, I've shared that openly. But what I found in that moment, it creates such a grace because it's a vulnerability. It's like, oh, okay, well, this is a grace then. And so, guys, sometimes, you know, we think I just need to, you know, you know, put a little dirt in it, you know, because that may be the way we were as men. But sometimes we need to just stop and say, you know, I'm struggling. This is something I struggle with. I'm dealing with something. Maybe you've been married 10 years and you've never had the talk like Pastor Bill, you know, did with Lori where they know December is just, you know, there's trauma is stored in ourselves. So it comes up not because we want it to, but because it gets triggered and it's in ourselves and it comes up. And so it's great in marriage when we struggle together. When we struggle together. In marriage, what you need to understand is that every struggle is your struggle, not their struggle. And I'm not saying you take responsibility. We're never responsible for them, but we are responsible to them, right? To support them, to pray for them, to listen to them, to encourage them, to be vulnerable with them, to be honest with them, to be open with them about our struggle. We're responsible to, but not for. But marriage works great when we struggle together because when one is weak, the other is strong, right? And we talked about that in the first one, that sometimes in marriage, one person can't give as much, so the other person gives more. So I think that's just great. Great. Anybody else have anything on that one? All right, we're about out of time. So we're going to close with this. Everybody give your relational pro tip. Relational pro tip. I'll, I'll simplify mine to just this quote. Um, 
if you don't like what you're getting, take a close, honest look at what you're giving. Um, because most of the time when you're dealing with our humanity, we tend to be fairly, fairly selfish people, right? But in marriage, it's supposed to be two servants. And so if we'll, if we'll be focused about giving to the other, you won't have to worry about what you're getting because it'll be what you want. My pro tip would be twofold. In a relationship, communication. We've talked about this to a blue in the face, but you can't over-communicate. Communicate. But if you're in a relationship with someone outside, like a friendship, like you have friendships, and this is what I tell Jackson and Kara all the time is to be a light. You know, be a light to those around you in a relationship. How can you meet their need? How can you, you know, bring light until, into their life? It's not about me, but how can I minister to them? Two pro tips. Yeah, I like the one that said last service, so I'm just going to say that one again. <laughs> um, yeah, go first. Be willing to go first um, when it comes to potentially needing to change. When it comes to an argument, be go first to apologize. Um, because if you can put yourself first, somebody has to. And Pastor Marty said, the one who loves Jesus the most will go first. But so often I hear relationships where someone will say, well, I'll... I'll be better husband if they'll be a better wife, or I'll I'll mow the yard more if she'll cook more, or, or, or even like she won't have sex with me, so I'm not gonna do any of my chores. And and I'm like, okay, if y'all both sit in that stubborn mentality, you're gonna live miserable. One of you needs to go first. Choose to go first. <coughs> I'm not the stubborn one. Um, neither is Lori, though. Let me clarify that one. Uh, we worked through that about 15 years ago, I think. So I was going to use a different one, but I'm going to go with the one from earlier. We decided years ago that we don't want to love each other. Don't love your spouse. I need you to be in love with your spouse. Because when you love something, it's passive. I love Mexican food. I love cars. I like all that. I love all that stuff but I'm in love with my wife. So I wake up every morning with the goal to pursue her, with the goal to get more of her. That's what my pro tip is. Those are good. Um, I'm going to give one. It's a little different. I'm going to say in, intentionality in, in any relationship, whether it's with your kids or with your spouse or with someone you think you may have a future with, uh, intentionality, and I want to specifically say this to guys. Um, we we typically, and we talked a little bit about this one, but this is the way I felt to go. We we typically get into ruts, and we just, you know, it's kind of like the old adage, you know, the the wife says, "Do you still love me?" And the guy's like, "I told you 27 years ago I loved you, and if anything changes, I'll let you know." And that can be how we are as guys, and I, I understand that's our personality sometimes, or maybe stereotypically that's our nature. Um, but but relate, any relationship, doesn't matter what the relationship is, with intentionality, it, it will thrive. Let me give you the opposite or, or the anonym in, in this case. And there's intentionality or there's neglect, but there is no middle road. You either, you either intentionally invest in a relationship or you neglect it. You either grow or, or you die, but you don't stay the same. Right. And so um, 
be intentional, even if it's a discipline of being intentional. You know, you can calendar things like we'll have a date night on Thursdays or, you know, one time a month this. You can even do this. You know, with my oldest son, I, I started doing this, and it worked really well for him. The other two I've had to do different things with. Um, but his personality was such, uh, we went and got coffee every Thursday, my oldest son, when he's about 14, somewhere right in there. We would just go get coffee together. And sometimes we didn't talk about much, and sometimes we had great conversations, but it was just, you know what, I'll just take every Thursday and take him for coffee, and sometimes that's an hour coffee, and sometimes it's a three-hour coffee, right? Um, my daughter, is she's an external processor. She's a lot easier. We have a great relationship because we talk all the time. And uh, she's my ride or die. We talk, we shop, we go to movies. Last night, we watched Top Gun at the movies for the third time. By the way, it's a great movie. <laughs> so anyway, feel the need for speed. Um, but anyways, um, so you find those intentional ways to, to connect, whether it's a spouse or, or, or whatever. Um, you know, you, you be intentional. The way you got into a relationship was intentionality. Right? The way you'll get out of one is neglect. Um, the second thing, let me just say this for my single people, because I, I feel you. Um, if you're single, then you're you're not. Um, don't don't waste the season that you're in. If you're single, it's you're not in a waiting season. I don't like that. I'm I'm just waiting. No, what that implies is I need someone to make me whole or I need someone to complete me or I need someone to bring me purpose. God assigned you with purpose before you were born. You chase God and chase your purpose and find security in your purpose and value in your relationship with God, value in your friendships. And if you want to be married, trust God. And then let me say this, you have to put yourself in environments where you can meet people. Right. And hopefully that would be a church or a small group. But if it's not, you may have to take a cooking class or, you know, Jen and I met online. There's a lot that goes with that. I'm not even sure I recommend it. We I was online for about 11 days and then I was offline um, because it took literally we both got online about the same time and we were online. I was online about two weeks and she was online one week and then we were done with it because it's a lot when you are online. Like I was not ready for what all goes on on the online business. Like, people need to get saved. And, um, <laughs> and so, and so I, you know, I, I'm not against it because it definitely worked. You know, I would, there's a lot of people online, especially apps like Tinder that are hookup apps. I don't really recommend that. But, but you know, we did, I was on eHarmony. Um, if eHarmony uses this clip, they have to pay me for it. Um, <laughs> So I'm just saying, but find places, put yourself out there. And then also I would say, you know, be secure in your singleness, pursue your purpose and just be who God created you to be and, and realize you don't need someone to make you you. But if you desire someone, pray, broaden your circle, your horizons, meet new people. And, and also I would say this, because this happens a lot in church standards at times, um, don't, don't decide who Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright is especially if you've never been married, because this is what I hear all the time. Well, you know, essentially, I'm just going to, for hyperbole's sake, I'm going to, you know, they're going to look like Chris Hensworth. They're going to manage money like Warren Buffett. You know, they're going to be as smart as Elon Musk and as spiritual as Stephen Furtick. Okay, well, I, you're going to be single the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah, that's what you're going to be. You're going to be single the rest of your life. I'm not saying you compromise, but I'm saying don't prejudge someone, you know, if you find someone that's really got good character, 
that's really got a great relationship with God, and they have great relationships with people, and you say, well, they don't really look, or, well, he's not, you know what? You, you might be surprised. You might be surprised. So don't, I think, here's, let me say this way. The toxicity of finding the one has invaded the church world. And now we won't date anyone that we don't think is the one. Well, how do you know they're the one? You haven't dated them. Right? I mean, when, I mean, the first time I talked to Jan, I liked her. I didn't know she's one. After the first date, I'll be honest, I didn't think the first date went that well. Not that it went poorly, but I was. I, you're so self-conscious on the first date. I don't know if you are this way. This may be too much information. That, that I just felt like, I don't know, that I, she may never talk to me again. <laughs> and, and she kind of felt the same. You know, like he may never talk to me again because it was just, there were some awkward moments on that first date. But, you know, after the second date, I'm like, now nah, I like her. So there's all my pro tips. <laughs> I'm going to shut up now. All right, why don't we stand? I'm going to ask our prayer team to come, and uh, we're going to end today with prayer like we do every time. So prayer team, I'll have you come. If you need prayer today, we would love for you to come and receive prayer for whatever it may be. If you're online and you need prayer, you can text my pathway prayer to 94000, and we'll have someone that will pray with you uh, that way. And so, Pastor Mark, why don't you close us in prayer? Father, thank you for days like today. Uh, we can come in your presence. We can hear just truth and wisdom. I pray that, that it would take root, Lord, the things that you, uh, you want for each of these relationships will be received deep into the deepest parts of their hearts. And we pray for healing to occur, Lord, mending of relationships. Uh, we pray that as, as your word takes root, that it would draw people to you and draw relationships closer together in the, in the process. So we love you. We thank you for your goodness, for your grace, for your wisdom and knowledge. And I pray that there'd be testimonies and miracles that would come from this series um, and from the intentionality that we as a church are placing in the relationships of our people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. We love you so much. If you need prayer, please come and get prayer. Everyone else, say big God bless you. Pick up your kids on the way out and be here next weekend for Christmas at Pathway.